0: My first rifle was a two forty three. that Papa gave Daddy and Daddy gave to me,
1: and they taught me how to shoot with a steady hand. Welcome to American Wing Shooting Podcast. We are back with part two with Stephen Murray, who most people know him associated with Purdy. He's been a dear friend and an amazing mentor to me. And so today we're going to build on all the history, the, the journey that has got him to where he is today. Um, we're going to get more knowledge out of him, more technical knowledge. But we're also going to talk about some fun stories about traveling around the States. Stephen, good Good morning.
0: Good morning. Well, it's it's actually mid-afternoon in the UK, and it's raining, of course.
1: Of course. I got up early for you. I'm in Reno today, so it's Thank a little you. different than when we're talking and I'm in Georgia.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay, so last episode, we talked about how you were raised in the home of the NRA, the original home of the NRA, which is, yeah. I don't know if anybody can top that in the gun industry?
0: Uh, possibly not. I think I'm a little bit unique. I mean, there's <laughs> loads of people that, you know, shot uh, uh, on Wimbledon Common many, many decades ago. But um, it, it was quite a thrill to discover uh, that I'd lived and been brought up in the, uh, in the Wimbledon windmill, the home of the NRA. Uh, absolutely fascinating. Incidentally, you're probably aware that the, the, Her Majesty the Queen had a, a jubilee celebration. Um, the windmill on Wimbledon Common was used as a beacon and they illuminated the uh, the windmill. And uh, after, the, um, after the events and the celebrations, we just went round the corner to a, a golf club uh, and it's entitled London Scottish Golf Club. And the reason it came about was because the, um, the assembled uh, Scottish regiments um, brought down the idea of playing golf during the uh, National Rifle Association tournaments. And we went into the golf club and sure enough on the wall, uh, it had the date um, that coincided with the start of the uh, uh, 1860 um, and later uh, National Rifle Association events on Wimbledon Common. And uh, lots of famous names that we can associate with shooting, and they were all previous captains of the golf club. And wow. I thought, wow! Wimbledon, uh, it's it's done it again.
1: <laughs> so that event just happened this week, right? You were there. Yeah, that's there. right.
0: Just just this past weekend. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was huge over here. Um,
1: so exactly, community... what what is that about? What happens there?
0: Well, it, it was uh, just purely and simply in celebration of uh, the Queen's. Uh, 70 years as our uh, sovereign monarch. Um, Absolutely outstanding, absolutely outstanding. It it kind of makes your mind boggle. You know, Queen Victoria served on the throne for an awful long time, uh, but um, our present Queen uh, has reigned for 70 years. Um, I think, incidentally, she's met half of all of the American presidents. I don't know whether that's true, um, but... You know, past and present. I know she's met an awful lot of American presidents. Who else can say that? Right. (laughs) It's amazing. Yeah. No, it was a national, huge national celebration. Uh, One I was um, very impressed with and and hugely honoured to think that I was, you know, part of it. uh, To be able to watch and, you know, interact with all the people that were celebrating. It was enormous. Tremendous fun. Tremendous.
1: Well yeah, and the in your first episode you talked about how um with your past position with Purdy you actually took care of their guns. That's the fam- right. The royal yeah. family's guns. So yeah, yeah, I mean you do have major connections there.
0: Uh, no, I don't actually have major connections. <laughs> I wish well, I, I mean, did. with the
1: event, you know, and, and with your history, with being at sure. the NRA. And yeah, things. well, so- that one, one,
0: one funny story stands out that we, uh, we uh, arrived at Sandringham um, to inspect and clean the gun collection in the capacity of working for Purdy. Um, and then uh, the following week, I had an event at Windsor Castle, Um, uh, totally unconnected with Purdy. This was something to do with the uh, commemoration of the um, Battle of Trafalgar, the 200-year commemoration. And uh, we had the opportunity to go to Windsor Castle, um, which uh, was where the king was uh, back in the day of Nelson winning, um, or conquering, uh, the combined French and Spanish fleet at Trafalgar. And uh, a a guy came back to bring the news back to the UK and it was decided um, only polite and proper to inform the King before anybody else knew. And of course, the King was at Windsor Castle. So in order to sort of uh, follow in the footsteps, part of the commemoration was to visit Windsor Castle. Now, I got dressed in the dark at home. Uh, I went to Purdue, I went to work. I got to the event and realized the tie I was wearing was not the 1805 club tie, which was associated with the event, but I was wearing my gunmaker's livery tie, totally the wrong tie. And I'm now thinking, oh my goodness, somebody's going to notice this. So the first thing I did, I got to the event, I spoke to the chairman of the 1805 club, and I said, Peter, look, I'm very sorry, I've got the wrong tie on. He said, Steve, don't worry about it. Nobody'll notice. So I kept my jacket done. I was thinking nobody would notice. And I'm looking up in uh, the Guard's Chapel at uh, Windsor Castle at all this fantastic armour and the the uh, suits of armour and, and the pikes and the swords. And I was aware that somebody was coming to my left and I was trying to keep a very low key because I had this wrong tie on. And I turned around and I'm standing next to the Duke of Edinburgh and he looked at me and he said, hello, are you enjoying yourself? I said, Royal Highness... Thank you. Yes, sir, I am uh, enormously. And as he went to walk past, he looked at my tie and he said, that's not an 1805 club tie. And I said, oh, no. <laughs> I said, yeah, uh, no, sir, I'm really sorry. It's it's not. He said, that's a gunmaker's tie. I said, yes, sir. He said, are oh, you a gunmaker? I said, well, I, I work for Purdy's, sir. We were at Sandringham last Wednesday. You left on the Tuesday." And he went, oh, yeah, OK. And then he pointed to this fantastic gun collection in Windsor in a kind of cordoned-off area. And he said to me, he said, you don't need to be looking up here. He said, you ought to go and look over there. And, of course, I couldn't. It was cordoned-off. It was a private area. And he went to walk away, and he got about three steps away, and he came back. He tapped me on the shoulder, and he said, I know something you haven't seen. Come with me. And we went rushing off through the crowd, his personal bodyguard or his protection officer or his secretary whatever it was um looked very bewildered uh you know what on earth is going on and the duke of edinburgh showed me the actual musket ball that killed nelson at the battle of trafalgar i mean that completely blew my socks off and then we started talking about the gun collection at sandringham and then he started showing me the gun collection at uh, windsor castle and and this poor secretary or Bodyguard or whatever he was, he was totally befuddled. He hadn't got a clue what on earth was going on, uh, except this little short, fat, gray-haired guy had gone running <laughs> off the private area with the Duke of Edinburgh, and they appeared to be having a good laugh. So that's uh probably the only connection. <laughs> um oh, he, he was far. enormously enthusiastic about uh about guns, and I've got to say he knew an awful lot about. Uh, a wide range of guns as you would expect somebody in the royal navy you know they 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 tend to you know get everything absolutely right
1: well you are full of history from home and (laughs) traveling here like what was your perspective of our um traditions and and the way that we cherish just the hunting industry and the gun making and things like that here what's your perspective on that
0: well, I've I've got to say it, it is quite different um, in the UK um, as as you do in the United States. We have very clear seasons. Um, I'm going to try and remember them off the top of my head. Uh, grouse uh, starts on the 12th of August, go through the uh, 10th of December, um, and then we've got uh, the partridge ste- season that starts beginning of September, uh, goes through to February 1st of February. Uh, pheasant season, a little bit later, that's the 1st of October. Uh, and then there's obviously there's snipe and um, woodcock and, and duck and geese and all the other ones, but but th- 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 their, their seasons are slightly different. I know in the United States, um, particularly because I've travelled in the southern states predominantly, uh, I get very excited about uh, sh- quail shooting, and it is so very different. Um, the, the way that uh, you do walked up, uh, on coveys of grouse shooting over dogs is absolutely magical um i can remember i visited a place uh in georgia it's called the Bourne. um and i really went on my first grouse shoot uh sorry uh grouse shoot there and it was just so exciting um uh the, 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 the whole um experience was different we we shot uh quail in the morning and then we shot pheasant in the afternoon and I was expecting some you know something different and by golly it was very different um, particularly the way we dress I mean I'm, I'm wearing what I would probably wear if I go grouse shooting I've got a, a, a tattersall shirt a tie on uh, a, a fleece um, because even in the UK in August you can't guarantee the weather um, you don't want to be standing out when you're on a grouse moor. You've got to be pretty much camouflaged. I was very surprised to see everybody dressed in uh, fluorescent orange and, and yellow when I went out uh, in the United States. But, of course, you know, our traditions are very intertwined. They're very, very much interlinked. And as I mentioned before, I'm always so impressed about the depth of understanding that um, American uh, shooting men and women have about best guns, I mean, particularly Purdy guns. And, you know, you, you have to be very careful when you're asked a question. You know, I've learned n- never try and get around it, just kind of write it down and say, I'm sorry, sir, I don't know the exact answers of that, but I will get back to you. And, and that's appreciated. You know, some people will say, oh, well, let's just make up something that sounds really good, but it's not the way and it's really not accepted in the United States. <laughs> it's so very different. I also went on a tower shoot. Uh, the, uh, I was over in Mississippi. In fact, you and I have shot there together. So it wasn't too far away from where you and I were shooting. And uh, this guy said, Do you want, we're, we're going to shoot high pheasant in the afternoon. And I'm thinking, Mississippi is like a billiard table. There's no mountains. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking, How are we going to shoot high pheasants in Mississippi? Anyway, uh, we went out and I heard this. It was kind of a droning noise coming from the background. I thought, what on earth is this? And it was a tower... Uh, and the guy was up the top of the tower mm-hmm. with some pheasants and he was stuffing pheasants into an air compressed cannon and firing his
1: pheasants out. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, Aren't those they... so
1: much fun?
0: <laughs> yeah. Um I I I can, you know, remember that vividly and it was something quite different. But
1: um Well one time the... Larry went he was in Alabama and he went quail hunting with me and JC. Oh, at, right. yeah. at Selwood. And yeah. when you want to talk about just the difference in attire, he was in a full purdy suit with his dress shoes on and, yeah. and he was so scared he was going to ruin his shoes because we're out in the pines and we sure. walked the whole field. <laughs> 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 oh, it was so funny. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I mean, it is different, but we've talked about the traditions. Like one time we were in Mississippi and, we were at a shoot, and we were staying at the the hotel. You and I and Larry. Yeah. And um, I just walked in the hotel with my shotgun and was checking in and stuff. And I just remember you freaked out like, "What in the world are you doing walking around and bobbing with your shotgun?" I'm like, <laughs> Stephen, every single American in this hotel's got their shotgun in their room. Yeah.
0: I know. <laughs> yeah. We, we have slightly different protocol over here. <laughs> um yeah, wandering around the lobby with a 20 gauge is, is kind of not not done, you know.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, but, and uh, then and it's um and then for here, you know, you got your tricked out case and it's it's like an accessory, right? Yeah, so not yeah, yeah so it's different but when we talk about just the traditions of like the American heart and the hunter. So the heart of the hunter like I value what you bring to the table and your story so much and I know that ours are very different um especially sure. you know coming from North Georgia and we we don't have that level of um prestige per se that yeah. you guys have it's it's really all about the heart of what gets us out into the woods or into the field and yeah. so I just I love your perspective on coming to the states and then working with Larry yeah. <laughs> with a tire and stuff I'm like you know we all have to wear orange and and it was just the funniest thing ever I'm like I don't even yeah. know what I can wear because <laughs> it's law,
0: yes, sure. <laughs> you know? Yeah.
1: And so, um, yeah. Like what about the heart of the hunter that you've really learned to appreciate from the American lifestyle?
0: Well, the, 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 heart of the hunter in the United States is, is very deep and it's a lot wider than it is in the UK. Um, in the UK, we have very distinct, uh, gun laws, um, from those uh, in the United States. Um, for example, handguns are, for all intents and purposes, they are banned. Nobody can privately own a handgun. You can have a gun at a club, um, but that is, is full of restrictions. Um, but unlike the United States, handguns are not something you would find in, in anyone's home in the United Kingdom. Um, we then have uh, shotguns, which, broadly speaking, for recreational use, for clay pigeon shooting, for game shooting, rabbit shooting, uh, that's quite acceptable. Uh, and you have to, you know, fulfil a, quite a, a tight list of criteria. And I've got to say, it is getting tighter for all the very um, uh, sensible reasons. Um, but, and, and lastly, we have what we call firearms. Now, a firearm is, uh, broadly speaking, a rifle. Um, it's more or less accepted that there isn't a use and... Uh, A recreational use for uh, shotguns but rifles kind of fall into a different category Um, you have to uh, go a lot further um, with the application to own a rifle than you do with a shotgun so there are two distinct categories what we call section one which is a rifle or a firearm and then section two which is a shotgun in the united states of course a lot of people will go out uh, hunting. Um, if they're uh, hunting deer, for example, they've got a rifle. Um, they might have a, a gun if they're going shooting quail as well. Uh, it's not unusual to carry a sidearm, um, a, a revolver, for dispatching a, a wounded animal. That kind of thing is is absolutely. We would say the expression is de rigueur. It's quite acceptable. It's it's quite a natural process in the United States. Whereas in the United Kingdom, it's quite different. Um, You wouldn't go out with a a Seiko 3008 rifle if you were going grouse shooting. That wouldn't be in the boot of the car at the same time. You'd you'd have two entirely different uh, types of gun. Stalking in Scotland is tremendous. I mean, anybody that gets into the sport of shooting, you know, people say to me, what would you prefer? uh, What would you say I would prefer? And you say, I can't tell you what you're going to prefer. You've got really to try every discipline uh, of shooting. Yes, you've got to go stalking. Um, yes, you've got to go clay shooting. You've got to experience uh, game shooting. In fact, only tomorrow I'm going out on a, a simulated clay day, um, which I've got to say is tremendous fun. It's it's everything except the feathers um, and uh, w- w- the camaraderie. Um, my dear friend Richard Purdy always used to tell me, Stephen squeezing the trigger is only ten percent of the fun when you're out on a shoot day, mm-hmm. and do you know what he's absolutely right because the camaraderie, the meal afterwards the the banter it it just makes uh, for such a special day uh, and unless you've enjoyed it unless you've experienced it unless you've sort of uh, embraced um without reservation the the whole difference between the the disciplines that are available in the u k and then once you travel to the United States, it's it's like opening up a, a little pocket diary and then all of a sudden you've got a huge, great big book that you can open up. It's mm-hmm. it's a world of difference. It's so exciting going to the United States. I can't, oh, I can't wait to get back. I mean, you know, I've got people that have heard about my, my gun over here and they say, Steve, you've got to bring it over. You've got to bring it over. I can't wait to bring it over, but you know, I'm going to, I'll probably wait until veterans weekend and, you know, start in Georgia and, and then wander through Alabama, see my friends at Caliber, uh, go and see the guys at Provident Hill in Mississippi, and then go and see uh, uh, Jimmy up at uh, West Point um, at Pro- uh, Prairie Wildlife. Uh, there's so many places. I just places. saw Benny. You just saw Benny. Yeah. I did. <laughs> on my
1: way on my way out here, Benny uh took one of my dogs. So Oh right, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. um yeah, one of my pups will be hunting up prairie wildlife.
0: Has he got taller and wider? <laughs> he
1: he is very tall. <laughs> he is a
0: giant, isn't he? He is a giant. Yeah.
1: Well, I but- I love that you celebrate all of our freedoms here in the States and I mean, everywhere you go, you're always the life of the party.
0: Sure.
1: Thank you. Sure. Of course you are. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But, you know, it is something that has just been so dear to my heart to have those freedoms and spending the time with you and hearing about the way that you live, which is normal to you. But I could not fathom having those restrictions.
0: (laughs) No, it's... Yeah, we, we've we've gotten used to it, shall we say? We've gotten used to it. Um, I, I won't go into the debate about whether or not we should or shouldn't have these types of guns and whether the laws are tight enough or they they need tightening up. That's a whole that's a whole different world. Yeah. But um, I'm I'm content that uh, the regulations in the UK are, are fit for purpose. Um, I'm just a little bit concerned uh the um the amount of people that are surrendering their guns because the word has got out that still shot may not be um entirely uh suited uh and the compatibility between the older english guns and new still shot um might be poles apart um i do know there's one very well-known dealer Uh, of guns who's been in the business for years. He's got a pair of uh, 1898 boss guns. And to my certain knowledge, for the last two seasons, he's been shooting what we call soft iron or standard steel shot through those guns and to absolutely no ill effect at all. But unfortunately, I call it the 3G syndrome, guns, girls and Guinness. Whenever you walk into a pub, (laughs) every guy knows all about guns, girls and Guinness. They may never have tried any of them, but it's kind of a <laughs> macho thing. You have to be an expert. Uh, and there's lots of what I call pub talk. Uh, people are saying, oh, if you've got an old side-by-side, that's it. You might as well throw it away because you can't use it uh, after this this season. It's not true. It's it's really not true. Cartridge manufacturers are working very hard. Um, I, I disagree with the timescale. We were told there would be a, a five-year lead-in period from... Uh, the transition from uh, lead to steel, um, that's been compressed into about two and a half years. And a lot of people were still gearing up to use lead this season. uh, And now it looks like, you know, that's not going to be allowed. Uh, We've also got all sorts of other problems. We've got bird flu. uh, We've got um, the knock-on effect of uh, COVID. We've effectively lost two game seasons through covid and so we've got still shot we've got covid we've got bird flu we we we're, we're in a mess over here when it comes to uh the 2022 23 game season but you two just need it. to
1: pack up and come on over here cuz i never stopped bird dogging during covid <laughs>
0: yeah no no pack line uh, up
1: and come on
0: yeah, I know. <laughs> we we couldn't even get on a plane. You know, Larry was going crazy. He was saying I'm I never going to get out there. <laughs> I know.
1: I know he he um he would message me all the time. I'd wake up in the morning and it'd be lunch where you guys were and Larry would have been just going nuts, just yeah. stuck. Yeah. yeah. Well, you guys aren't used to being in one place very long at all.
0: No, no, no. Uh I mean, since I retired, you know, uh, one of your uh, countrymen foaming. He said, What are you gonna do? Are you gonna go fishing? I said, No, not really. How about golf? I said, No, I don't play golf. He said, What puts a smile on your face? I said, Remember when your wife shot that 28 gauge we built her, that that look on her face? And he said, I will never forget it. And I said, That's what makes me happy. And he said, Well, Stephen, that's what you've got to do. You've got to keep on making guns. <laughs> so oh, well, that's I how I got that. back into it.
1: <laughs> so you mentioned something briefly in um And as an American, I will say I'm extremely jealous that we don't have a day like this to celebrate. But you mentioned the Glorious Twelfth. Yes. And I don't know if it's because... All of my friends where you live are all shooters <laughs> <laughs> or what. But it just seems like everybody I know there celebrates this day. So, um, sure. you know, we don't have anything like that. I mean, usually on the 4th of July, everybody breaks out their guns and shoots them because it's Independence Day, right? But sure. um, the, your opening day of hunting season is such a big deal. I would just love to hear more about that.
0: Well, the, the Glorious 12th is a very special day in the shooting calendar, not least because it's the, uh, the start of the game season in the UK. Um, how can I put this in, in context? It's a bit like the Formula One uh, of, of shooting. Um, grouse shooting is very fast. Um, it's very exciting. It, it's, it's like sitting on the track at Monaco. Uh, and watching these Formula One cars going around, um, we, we are very lucky. Um, grouse uh, is is slightly different to partridge and and pheasant insofar as uh, the grouse moors are uh, are keepered, but they're not uh, they're not raised. Grouse um, people will do. You, you hear the expression, what, "What's the what's the grouse count this year?" And this is where uh, a beatkeeper will go out. Um, Sadly, Ilkley Moor isn't a good example anymore because the local authority up there banned uh, grouse shooting on the, on the Bradford side of Ilkley Moor, which is somewhere where they've shot grouse for 300 years. Um, that's a whole different story as well. I've got to keep off these uh, soapbox issues. <laughs> with mine. Um, but the, the, the beekeeper will walk along a particular area uh, of the uh, grouse moor every morning... Um, at a regular time, and count uh, the birds. Uh, and that way he would get a good idea of the numbers that uh, are going to be expected. Um, it tends to go in waves. We tend to get one bonanza year uh, of grouse, followed by three or four very mediocre, and I've got to say sometimes very poor years. Um, the uh, the wildlife... Um, protection has a great deal to do with it. If you're not allowed to burn off uh, the ground, mm-hmm. you get uh, the ingress of lots of um, uh, bugs uh, uh, and you get things like gape and there's all sorts of horrible things that can happen to grouse. So the the better the grouse more is looked after uh, with human intervention, um, the better the health for the grouse and just about every other species of wildlife around if you've got a healthy grouse more you've got a uh, an excellent basis for biodiversity if you haven't got a healthy grouse more you know everything else is going to suffer but unfortunately uh, because shooting isn't understood um by everybody in the united kingdom uh, there's a great deal of skepticism about that i mean to put it into context uh, i can fly to new york and back first class um for less than it would cost to go grouse shooting for a day um it, it's, big what? Yeah, oh, yeah, wow. it's big bucks. Yeah, oh yeah, it's big bucks. Yeah, the expression we used to use in the London gun trade if you need to ask how much it costs to go grouse shooting, you can't afford to go. Uh it's that expensive. Um, so you know th- that's the that's the bedrock, that's where it all starts. Um interestingly, so much of the gun development has happened on grouse Moor um for example there was a very famous guy robert churchill always used to shoot grouse because it was a fast incoming bird um and and the the the, the beaters would sort of come across the moor uh, and you've got to bear in mind moorlands generally very flat and very open and uh, these birds would be coming at, you know sometimes only 20 30 feet high uh and robert churchill developed uh, a system of using a very short barrel a 25 inch gun almost like a coaching gun in the united states and he was remarkably good at shooting grouse um but the grouse didn't know that he was only using a 25 inch gun and they all died just the same um but then things started developing and then everybody said oh no you can't use a 25 inch gun it's got to be 28 and then you went from 28 to, to 30 and and now i get to talk to people and they say, oh, if you're shooting high birds, you've got to use a 32 inch gun. Uh, I've got to say no, Um, it it really doesn't make any difference. It's where you point the barrels and when you squeeze the trigger, that's what makes the difference. Yes, there are uh, certain caveats that, I mean, for example, you know, I I often get amused when people have never shot and they, they, they ask for my opinion or they ask for my advice. Uh, And then you go out with somebody, and the first thing they say is, right, I've been told I need a a 32-inch gun, I need this, I need that, and you say, well, why have you been told all that? You know, have you shot before? Well, no, I haven't shot before, but a guy down the pub said, that's what I need. Does he shoot? Well, no, he doesn't shoot, but, you know, he's kind of read it somewhere. So, you know, you get all this uh, fluff and nonsense. Um, It's quite entertaining, but sometimes a a little bit annoying. Um, For example, uh, I had a guy... He, uh, he was shooting Kreekhoffs. um lovely guns, but they were full competition Krieghoffs. Absolutely beautiful gun, nothing wrong with it at all. And he couldn't understand why he was missing high birds. Um, and, and in fact, I've got a, a, a couple of the stocks here I can show you. Um, let me just pull these up on the screen and it will uh, put it, a uh, picture uh, says so a thousand words, as they say. Can you see the difference between th- this, this gun here? uh this is a traditional sort of um grip that you would expect on a make off on a, a game crossover gun this mm-hmm. one is very much a sort of a competition gun this you would tr- traditionally expect to see on a parazzi or a, a high end competition gun uh this one is entirely different it's a game crossover gun it's it's a sporting gun now if you That's what uh, I prefer
1: I'm more comfortable with that. What
0: well, the sporting version? Yes. Yeah. Well, that's good because the the problem this guy had with the Krieghoff, he had this make-off, and I don't know if I can illustrate this on a on a short sort of thing, but he would start off very well with, with, with perfect gun mount, but then as he was taking high birds, I've got it. I'll turn side, slightly sideways as he was taking high birds the gun would start to drop out of his shoulder because he hasn't got another joint in his wrist. Um, When the gun was was coming up, it was okay to about there, which is fine when you're sporting shooting or clay shooting. But then when you've got very high overhead birds, this stock starts to come out of your shoulder. And he was missing the birds. And I said, it's because the stock make-off is a competition make-off and not a game um, configuration, and he really couldn't understand it. And so I let him have a, a go with my one. Um, this is the uh, this is Wimbledon Park with a, a, a conventional sporting make-off, and mm. he shot very well with it, and he understood fully. Um, but you go back to the older guns, you know, the the old side-by-side. This is a lovely little 16-gauge side-lever uh, hammer gun. Um, there's no grip on it. Uh, there's nothing and the reason being when you were shooting you needed to bring your hand back very quickly to mm. the second trigger Correct. um
1: but will you will you hold it, up the, your other two stocks by side again
0: yeah sure um that's the uh, that's the sport what i would call the sporting make-off uh, and that this one is the what i would call the competition make-off it's got so- a as you can see it's got a, a, a an adjustable comb um
1: it's thicker, horses it's heavier.
0: There's, there's just two entirely different make-offs. Um, what I've, I've had these made because when I introduce a gun to somebody, I'd like to start right at the very basics. Um, I I show them uh, the the folly of, of perhaps um, putting a cartridge into a barrel without first checking down the barrel, or the worst one is, of course, having a 20 gauge, you can drop uh, a 12 gauge cartridge into a chamber. But what was happening on the inside, you've got a 20 gauge down here.
1: Yeah, let me get get a picture of that too.
0: Okay, that can ruin your whole day shooting.
1: Or your life.
0: Uh, Or your life. Absolutely. So what has
1: happened if you can't see, um, he's got a barrel and a section is cut out of it at the top at the receiver. So you can actually see a 20 gauge shells drop down and there's still enough space to drop a 12 gauge on top of it.
0: That's right. So
1: that's why the major rule that you don't mix your ammo in your pouch or in your gun bag. Um, And if you're shooting with somebody with a different gauge, then you just double check your barrels before you pull triggers.
0: Every time, every time. Check, Check the barrels, check the bag and check your pockets because it's very easy. Um, it's very, very easy done. Uh, also, I, I like to show people this because uh, one half of it is ventilated. The other half is a solid game rib. And up the business end, we've got uh, one section of the barrel, which is threaded. Mm. Uh, and, and that enables you to uh, put choke inserts. Um, there's all different, tea, these happen to be tea. There's Briley, there's Gemini, uh, there's any number of Teague uh variations um or interchangeable chokes. But um that's just the variation people need to understand. You know, when you when you start to learn to fly how to fly a plane, uh you have to know how to plane uh how, sorry, how the plane flies before you yeah. get in the plane. Um you can't just get in a plane and you know be given a, a, an instruction as it as if it was a you know driving a motor car nobody one really talks things. about
1: ribs anymore go back to that because ribs. yeah you yeah. know a, a uh, ventilated rib like it just it it's a weight dist- distribution thing and it's,
0: it's not entirely well yes it is yeah it, it's partly weight but a ventilated rib if you're shooting <laughs> like i can remember one incredibly hot day down at Providence uh hill farm in mississippi we were shooting um over the five stand uh, and it was just so hot um, and I could see heat coming off the barrel on the gun that I was using. It had a uh, a solid game rib uh, and I thought I wish I had a ventilated rib because the ventilated rib allows for the heat to disperse a lot quicker. Um, you can have various different widths. Uh, Brownings, for example, do a fabulous uh, parallel uh, rib. This one. Um, starts off at the business end uh, mm. sorry starts off at the uh, uh the breach end uh, at nine millimeters and it goes down to five millimeters that's just a, a preference of mine um i like to have a nice sort of uh going away sight line um but if you talk to or instructors stepped, nobody bit- talks
1: about that either the difference between a flat rib and a stepped rib
0: yeah a step rib um, step ribs are uh, quite understandable when you're trap shooting for example um, but for every for every gun I think really you've got to start with the basic and the basic has got to be good gun fit. If the gun doesn't fit it's not fit for purpose and so you've got to really decide you you know you've got to have this um, this this broad uh, range of, of of guns and the features and everything else get people to understand what's happening um Mm -hmm. again with 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 my gun you know people say what sort of trigger should it have well this one has got a, a detachable uh single trigger you can pop that trigger assembly out um this has got i don't know if we can see it here this has got traditional leaf springs that you would find in a best uh side lock gun uh it's got an interchangeable mechanism um you would find this on a lot of competition guns. Can you see it's not got a V-spring, but it's got coral right. springs in a tube. Now, that will drop into here um, in exactly the same way as the uh, the V-spring does. And you just click it in um, and that's it. You've got a, a variation that can you can use. Of course, the, 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 um, the traditionists, they like a, a, a double trigger. So you can drop the double trigger assembly in. It's just purely and simply uh, down to personal choice and what the gun's going to be used for. My own preference, as always, is uh, to have a a V-spring. The lock cycle time is better. It's a lot crisper. Um, We talk about crisp trigger pulls. If you can imagine an icicle forming on the windowsill of your your home and you can sort of put your finger on it and that icicle is quite solid and it's not going to go anywhere and then all of a sudden, boom, it just breaks. That's how a trigger should feel. When you're pulling that trigger, it should be nice and solid. And then all of a sudden it should just break like an icicle on a windowsill on a, on a home. Um, that's, uh, that's the ideal setup. You don't want to have what we call trigger creep where it starts going bang. That's, that's no good. It's got to be on or off, uh, nothing in between. Um, Getting trigger poles is they're getting and way For wet. pistol
1: shooters, that's completely opposite. And I was a pistol shooter before I picked up a shotgun. So you yeah. have that play until you get to that reset. And so yeah, that that was a change for me for sure.
0: Sure. Yeah. 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 Um no th- th- when when you shoot th- there is no hard and fast rule. It, it's it's different for everybody. Uh, you know, Andy Murray. I'm sitting in Wimbledon now, and in a couple of weeks' time, the the tennis is going to kick off. And Andy Murray, yeah, you know, or Sir Andy Murray, wouldn't go out onto center court in Wimbledon just wearing an average size pair of tennis shoes. You know, he'd have a very specific mm-hmm. size. Um, you can't expect to compete at a high end uh, in in any form of shooting unless the product that you've got is exactly right for the application, um, you know, you, w- you wouldn't go uh, shooting Kodiak bears uh, with a 2.2 pistol. Well, you might if you got close enough, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, by and large, you know, you've got to have the right bit of kit for the, uh, for the hunting that you're doing. And it's exactly the same when it comes to to wing shooting. You've got to have the right kit and it's got to fit.
1: Well, you helped me tremendously um, when I was searching for a gun because with my trainer, I went through so many before I found what worked. And it's very frustrating for shooters that don't or that haven't had that experience of a proper gun fit because sure. they know they're dead on, but they can't get there. Yeah, And that's a very yeah. frustrating feeling. And for people that don't know, I just have to pick up the right gun, a gun that fits, and then everything is fun, right, and successful. They quit before they understand that principle or they just don't have access to multiple guns to actually understand um, what would work and what wouldn't work. I talk about that all the time. Um, Just get your hands on as many guns as possible because with with instruction of mine, it's awesome to take – your client to the store and just have them start picking up guns because there's that moment where it's like a light bulb comes on and it's like, this fits like a glove. And now I understand. So it's very overwhelming to throw, um, just shooting techniques, right? Like angles and lead and all this on top of all these measurements that it takes to get a proper gun fit, because it's not just one, it's the combination of a bunch of variables.
0: Sure. 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 Yeah, it it is it it is a huge combination. Um, I'm very pleased to say I can't mention names for obvious reasons, um, but I'm very pleased to say that uh, one of the UK's leading uh, female shooting champions um, has sort of developed her career, and she's also now into uh, instructing herself. And when obviously when you're an instructor, you get asked what sort of gun should I buy? Mm-hmm. Um, and I was very pleased that she approached me and she said, Stephen, I've got a client that wants to buy a gun. Uh, I think he's probably in the market for a gun of the level uh, that you're producing, um, but he's got others, in my, you know, the traditional, the Parazis, the uh, Berettas, the Zolias and everything else. Um, and I'm very pleased to say he's shot five guns back-to-back He shot my gun and he he liked it. And I said, can you tell me, just so I can understand, what did you like about it above the others? And he said, I don't know. And I said, well, was it the weight? He said, well, no, it it felt the same. Uh, I said, was it the balance? And he said, how do you mean the balance? And I tried to explain the balance. And at the end of the day, he couldn't say it's because of that reason, that reason, and that reason, he just said it felt it's better. better. Mm-hmm. It felt more comfortable. And as you said, it's a light bulb moment. Um, I like to think that the the small things that we've incorporated in our gun design, for example, I mean, I th- I'm i just looking at this trigger assembly here. Um, I don't know if you can see this on the camera, but uh, uh, just pushing the button, you can move the trigger pull
1: oh, backwards and yeah.
0: forwards within the, the trigger guard. Now, the reason we do that, we're talking about gun fit. If you're uh, shooting clays in the summer, you're not going to have a a field coat on, you're not going to have a sweater on, you're not going to have a jacket on, you're not going to have, you know, sort of under armour thermals on. Um, And so that length of pull is going to change just a little bit. So why do we go to all the trouble to have a proper gun fit when as soon as you put a pair of gloves on or a field coat, the, the measurement just goes out the window. So that's important, just to have that little bit of a uh, adjustment. adjustment. Trigger comes back, or you can adjust it forward. Browning do that on all of the guns. Ours, you do it just by pushing a button. Uh, Browning do it with a little Allen key. Just simple things. Um, elongating the forcing cones a little bit, using the right shape chokes. Um, it, it's all the little things of all these key elements um, mm. that come together that make the gun either a success or a failure and again not least the gun fit you know that in, in in building a gun you've got seven stages you've got barrels you've got actions you've got locks and triggers you've got ejectors um, you've got stocking you've got finishing oh, sorry you've got engraving you've got finishing they're the seven key stages and uh, unless each one of those stages hand shakes and fits exactly with the nets you're not going to get um, a good result quality isn't a, an end result quality is a process from the minute the guy picks up those barrel tubes uh, and starts producing from two tubes a set of barrels and that quality process has to start at that very very early stage right to the end when the guy is is just sort of giving the, that absolute uh pristine finish of that gun the final wipe over before he puts it in the case and presents it to the customer. That's a, a, a quality process. It's not a it's not a wiping the stock off and making it look shiny and making the end result look good. That's not what it's all about. It's every as you said, it's that's that the reward. <laughs> Big pardon?
1: That's the reward. By that's making right. it look pretty, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right, that's right. What I call the you and the Wow. When I used to take people around the Purdy factory, I show them in the engraving and go Ooh, and then you show them the uh, finishing, they go Wow.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. So when are you coming back over here?
0: Uh, I'm aiming for November. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm hoping to get over there. Um, I've uh, I've booked a flight already. Um, oh yes. Yeah, uh, so I'll be coming over, uh, certainly with uh, my partner in crime, the uh, Purdy craftsman of, uh, good Lord, he was there for 42 years, Keith Ward, he does the locks and triggers. Uh, That's the bit you never see on a gun, the locks and triggers. It's the the hidden secret of of the gun. Um, He's actually got a property in New Mexico, as we speak. he's, uh, He's about three and a half hours drive south of Albuquerque. And uh, he's a member of the Colt Collectors Club. And of course he can't shoot Colts over here in the UK. So he bought a property in New Mexico and he goes shooting uh, in New Mexico with all of his Colts and his, his buddies out there <laughs> and uh, they have a great time. I, I've, been, I've been out there and in fact, on my, uh, my birthday about four years ago, I shot for the first time a, a 44 Magnum um, over in, uh, in Dattle in New Mexico and my wife shot her James Bond dream gun. She oh, shot a yes. Walther PPK. And so everybody was happy.
1: <laughs> oh, we just drove through there. And and Hallie Jo said, um, this is what she thought about New Mexico. She said, it looked like a John Wayne movie. She said, this oh. must be where they film everything. This looks just like a John <laughs> Wayne movie.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. She, yeah.
1: I thought she was going to come in here. She wanted to talk to you today. She was. Oh, she was so excited to see you. so you might get yeah. a message later but well we're going to make plans while you're here in the states we might try to keep you a little longer
0: sure yeah well I'd like to get up to Barnsley Gardens again with you that was uh that was a tremendous shoot that's right on your doorstep isn't it
1: when I'm in Georgia it's it's still across the state but it's closer yeah. than yeah it's, yeah. The, it's yeah. a really nice place
0: yeah, yeah. I mean there's so many good places <laughs> you know the list goes on um you know you, you you've got uh places like um uh if you start in the north Sandinona, uh orvis sandanona and then coming down the coastline you've got um uh the, the fabulous um griffin how uh hudson farm uh, and then you've got i the- would love Ma- to
1: visit them again
0: yeah well you and then you've got mishomac and then you come down you've got um uh Braise island i mean you know, uh, the, the, the people at Braze Island are just, you know, absolutely amazing. Uh, I always see snakes when I go to Braze Island. I don't know why I'm not fond <laughs> of snakes. But then, you know, you, you come down from, you know, South Carolina and, and, and you know, go across in, into Georgia. Um, the Dorchester is a place I'd love to visit. Um, the Bourne is fantastic. I like um, your local, you know, at Barnsley Gardens. And then you, you start sort of going across through um into well the other uh orvis place is purcell farm i think you've been there
1: um
0: in um in uh, that
1: that's super fun with chuck i loved shooting with chuck
0: that's right that's right where is that that's not louisiana is it
1: it's alabama
0: alabama that's right um and then you go into sort of mississippi and you know, you've got Provident Hill Farm and, and then you've got Selwood and then you've got, sorry, uh, no. Selwood's Alabama. Alabama. Sel- uh, Selwood is, is in mm-hmm. uh, Alabama, just up the road from um, uh, from Orvis. Um, yeah. And then obviously, you know, I a Provident Hill Farm, uh, Prairie Wildlife. Uh, I, I mean, even if you go right across to, you know, the, the, the fantastic winemaking region of the United States, Sonoma, you know, you've got wing and barrel. Um I uh, still
1: have not made it out there.
0: Oh uh, Anna, you gotta go. Uh, I I went there before they built that fantastic new clubhouse. Uh, and Larry's been out there and he tells me it's just absolutely amazing. And you know, got I need Mike to map Senior, it. Mike Senior and Mike Jr. Um, you know, it's and, and they see. they you know, they've they brought that place on leaps and bounds. It's absolutely it's it's a must visit. There's so well, many I... must visit places. <laughs>
1: Well, for sure, but I am obsessed with their social media.
0: What uh, wing and barrel?
1: I'm only three hours from there right yeah. now. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're gonna make a date to go to wing and barrel.
0: For sure. Yeah. 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 No, it's uh, it's a, it's a must do. It's a must do. Yeah.
1: Well, uh, we're so happy here in the states to have you part of our shotgun culture. I know that you have touched the hearts of so many people here. And um, and you just keep this spirit alive because the whole reason that I wanted to do this podcast is to talk about the traditions and and those important things that yeah. can get lost, you know, as these younger generations come up. It's easier for them to kind of create their own culture at times. And, and if I just know the people that mentored me to get me here. Or part of that old school mentality and i yeah. just appreciate it so much
0: thank you anna that's uh i i'm, I'm thrilled and honored that uh, you include me in that circle of people that can contribute something going forward I, I i really enjoy talking about what i've done and and what i continue to do um i i've been asked on a, me- a number of occasions to speak in uh at events in the united states uh, one of the places um, that came to mind was uh the vintages. And, uh, you know, we, we had this, uh, uh, to all intents and purposes, this small meeting that just kind of grew and grew and grew. Um, and and then, you know, I've, I've done a sort of similar thing at Provident Hill Farm, but I absolutely love, I, I like getting asked questions because it actually stretches you and, and makes you kind of think, you know, how, how do we do that? Why did the Victorians do that? Um, why did that change in the Edwardian period? There's a lot of things that uh, I enjoy. It, it's, it's, it's better to be asked the question than actually be put in front of a, a room of you know, 200 people and say, OK, talk about guns. Um, I've done it. It's not unique to the United States. I mean, I, I did an event. Um, we have an organisation in the UK called the Young Farmers, and uh, they generally get sort of 30, 40 members um, on a, a social evening turn up with their partners so you they they kind of put chairs out for I think it was about 70 people at this particular event um and because it was Purdy's and because you know I've got a little bit of experience um they had to put 100 chairs out and there were as many as 100 people standing um the plan was I would be talking for 40 minutes but three hours later, the caretaker of the hall that they'd hired came in and said, listen, guys, I want to go home, you know, <laughs> gotta break up this meeting. But it was great because I was being asked so many questions and all of them were interesting. And, and people often start by saying, I know this is a silly question. Do you know what? When it comes to shooting, there is nothing that is a silly question, because if you don't ask the question, it might cost somebody a great deal. It, it could end up in a terrible accident. So, you know, whenever I'm talking, there is no such thing as a silly question. I will answer any question because it, it it might save a hand, a foot, or even a life. So, you know, it's important. Let's, let's explore together. Let's go forward together. Let's talk about the difference between UK shooting, um, what we call game shooting, American wing shooting, um, You know, why it's sensible to use, you know, 16, 20 and 28 gauge guns when you're going quail shooting uh, and not so much so when you're shooting high birds in in North Devon um, in the middle of October, you know, you can't use a a small gauge gun. Yes, of course you can, if you're very, very good, but generally speaking, the right tool for the job is a, a longer barrel. Um, again, getting back to 32 inch. A lot of people say, "Oh, you've got to use the 32 inch." After you get about sort of 50-55, your eyesight changes, and it's not really a good idea to start using longer barrels. My go-to gun is a uh, is this. It's the the Wimbledon Park 30 inch uh, sported stock. I could have built any gun I wanted, but that was the that was the go-to gun. Put some multi chokes in it. Get the right cartridges. Start off at the beginning of the season with 30 gram number sixes. By the time you get into January, you've got the older, tougher, higher, faster flying birds. Swap over to 32 gram and number five shot just because they're a little bit higher and a little bit stronger. Uh, and that's all you need to do. Um, it's, it's, it's a learning curve, but it, it never ends. It's, it's, it's evolving all the time.
1: It's, oh, well, uh, I love it. I could exciting. talk to you for hours, too. And I think that everybody's going to want you to come back on and talk more about techniques and guns and application um, for the wing shooting world, because I definitely learn something every time we're together.
0: Yeah. Oh, thank you, Anna. Well, perhaps I'll ask my friends because of my connection with and Common. Perhaps we could do a, uh, a broadcast from uh, from the windmill um oh that uh, would be
1: incredible
0: we could look over i'm just thinking if i if i stood at the top of the windmill uh if we looked over the uh, common you could literally see where queen victoria fired the inaugural shot um it's uh yeah it's it's something we could do something we could do in the future uh or even i could get some uh female uh instructors that i know a couple of the the guys that do gun fitting, and, and perhaps we could do a quick run through on what we look at. You know what we're looking at when we want to do a gun fit, and you know um, uh, the basic techniques of shooting. You know, yeah, the you did my gun, gun fit in
1: the back of a truck in Mississippi. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, yeah. Did it,
1: you did. You did the American style when you were here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thoroughly enjoyed it.
1: Okay, yeah. well, we're gonna make plans to, to get together and do some shooting and maybe some filming when you're here in the States. For sure. and, um, and I just celebrate our friendship all the time and all that you invest in us. And we just appreciate you so much.
0: Thank you. That's very sweet of you to say. And you know, Annie, you, you probably don't realize it, but you, you are a, a tremendous ambassador. I know you, you taught pistol shooting and obviously growing up on the farm as you say, counting cows, <laughs> uh, you get a lot of a lot of rifle shooting, and now you've evolved uh, so well and, and, and to such a high degree of confidence with with dogs and 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 bringing on uh, ladies into to shooting. Um, it's just marvellous. You know, you, you're quite an ambassador. You, you should get some sort of recognition. Um, I doubt if you will.
1: I <laughs> doubt you it. it. You,
0: you should get some recognition. Sadly, we've got a guy over here in the UK. His name's George Digweed. He's, he's won just about every competition in the world. Um, he was given a, a small... You know, a token gesture, but if he was in any other sport, he would be knighted by now. Uh, oh, Lord, you know. nobody
1: even knows about my sport and what <laughs> I did. And they don't understand that tournament hunting is the one competition with your dog where you actually have to shoot for yourself. So it's yeah. extremely difficult. um But you can handle your dog and get all these titles, and the whole wide world knows, and your whole, uh, you know, breeding program is built on all this and then
0: yeah nobody yeah. cares
1: about when you go out here and well, shoot I, for yourself and win with your dogs
0: again in the uk when we're shooting we we have you know traditionally um a short-haired uh german um pointers the white uh, you call them you know the, the the traditional uh hunt point retrieve dog um over here it's generally labradors or spaniels and uh, I took my wife shooting. It was quite an important shoot. And I asked her to come with me to load. Um, and I was looking around and she's watching the dogs. And she said, this is just so fascinating. I said, forget the dog. Just look at my gun. When I open the gun, <laughs> put some more cartridges in it. She said, but these <laughs> dogs are so sweet and they know what to do. And and they're so obedient and the the, you know, the, the the uh, handler just points to the ground and they go and sit on the ground and then they go and retrieve the birds and she was getting so excited (laughs) um it is fascinating it's well the
1: dogs is what sucked me out of the clay game is you know i had mercy first and my instructor was a clay or he is he's a wing shooter too but he shoots clays almost every single day yeah and and so we just had so much fun together, which you've shot with Demas. He was with us at Barnsley. And yeah. um, so I got into that, but God, he just, he had always teased me and say, those dogs are going to suck you back in. And, and they did. And, and I got back into tournament hunting when I actually knew what I was doing and it was way yeah. more fun the second time around. Yeah. Um, but you're right. Like there is such a fascination about the dogs and it, it is, um, and, initial interest factor I would say like people want to get good because they want to do well with their dog and that's exactly my story it's amazing how many times we say like it all started with a dog
0: yes yeah yeah
1: so you can't help her but yeah it takes a lot to get those skills to to all those birds nobody cares
0: yeah it does it does yeah yeah
1: well I'm sure we could keep talking for hours and um, we may just have to do this every quarter. Just come on and be a, a regular guest of the All-American Wing Shooting podcast. Yeah.
0: What, what I enjoy about this is we don't rehearse anything. You know, I say to you, I'd send you a text. Hi, what do you want to talk about? Uh, you, you you know, we're, we're just working on as we go. And it's so it's so free and loose. I hope your, uh, your viewers don't think, hang on, this has been very well rehearsed and you know, every prod and prompt is, you know, very well-timed. It, it's very free and it's very open. It's a very frank and open exchange. And, uh, and I've got to say, refreshing exchange of, of, you know, the different types of shooting in the United States and the UK. Uh, and I think that's what makes it special. You know, I guess if we rehearsed it and we had a script, it it wouldn't, uh, it wouldn't be anywhere near as much fun. But I, I, I'd encourage your viewers perhaps to, you know, perhaps contact you and say, when you get that little short, fat, gray-haired guy on again, Steve Murray, <laughs> can we ask him about this and can we ask him about that? And, you know, that that's what makes it uh, that much more enjoyable because I do, uh, I do enjoy talking about what I've been doing for quite a number of years now. <laughs> well, I told so- you
1: that you know you spend so much time promoting everybody else like i just wanted a platform where you could talk about you because the things that you've done have made a big impact on my career and i and we've we've had conversations like this for forever that nobody will ever know about that weren't recorded and so i was like (laughs) it's just really really special so
0: yeah i appreciate
1: it i appreciate your time
0: i can uh yeah, I, 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 I enjoy it. I mean, you know, every time we meet, it's always good fun. Uh, you know, we, we discuss all sorts of shooting and hunting and fishing when we're in restaurants or, you know, even when Larry and I are talking in the car and you're sitting in the back videoing <laughs> us and we think, we think we've got funny accents and we're, you know.
1: <laughs> oh, you know, well, you guys are uh, fun. I, I cherish around. those days. <laughs> All right. Well, you give Lynn a big hug for me. And it was this was so great. And I look forward to next time. Thank
0: you so much. And listen, uh, J.C.'s up uh, up in university now, is she?
1: She is. She's a D.C. She's interning. She's she's up there learning about making policy and protecting conservation rights and gun rights and. She's at some event every day, shaking That's hands, good. making more connections. Yeah. That's
0: good news. That's good news. And, yeah. and, and tell Sweet Pea not to start picking, you know, jumping into little golf buggies and driving off. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I will. No, she's, you won't believe how much bigger she is now, you know. I, I've, I've she's seen, a, yeah. Yeah, she's yeah. embraced duck hunting and wants to yeah. learn to call and she's, She's doing really good with her dog handling skills, and I
0: saw it on mm-hmm. on a, a video on a was it a YouTube video might might have been one of yours, but no, I thought, wow, you know, <laughs> that's not Tater. She's far too tall. <laughs> yes,
1: yeah, yep. We're um we're hopefully going to be moving her up to a twenty eight gauge this season. So yeah, yeah she's excited.
0: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, okay. That,
1: well, we'll make sure that we have a family reunion when you get here.
0: For sure. Yeah, I'll give you. Plenty of notice um, when, when we're coming over. All
1: so, right. Well, I'm yeah. going to. I look forward to it and I will talk to you soon.
0: Okay. Remember, safe shooting is good shooting.
1: Every time.
0: <laughs> I guess that's
1: something you don't understand.
0: A grind of soap in a big machine. I'll feed us all I